So good afternoon, everybody. Ready for our third conference. Let's go ahead as we, we have been, beginning with the Hail Mary. In the, name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. <coughs> blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now at the hour of our death. Amen. Mac of the heart of Mary, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. So we, we looked last time, earlier this morning, about the wound providing the space, capacity primarily for God, so that the Lord can dwell in our souls, that Christ can work in and through us, but also to have room for others, that our heart becomes a, a refuge, a home. And I want to really emphasize something, I guess, if I'd ever give these retreats again, I'd, I'd put more in the talk that we gave this morning, that Marian hearts are safe places for other people, for sanctuaries. That's the primary thing. That if we know someone who has a Marian heart, we feel comfortable sharing things with them. There's no shame with them. We're not going to be judged. We're not going to be kicked to the curb. We're not going to be looked down upon. That if we're going to have Marian hearts, we have to be safe places for others. And so that sort of leads us into our talk now. What makes a heart safe? What makes it a safe place, a refuge? And so towards the end of the last talk, I mentioned purity of heart. How important it was to be pure of heart, to clean the space for when the Lord comes in, for when others come in to have clean water, to be able to um, purify and to be a place, an ocean, where life can come forth. And so that's why Mary's heart is the safest. That's why it's the refuge, because her heart is so pure. And so today, in this conference, I want to talk about the purity of heart. What does that mean? For those of you who've heard my talks before, you're going to see that I'm going to draw different ideas, hopefully making it make some sense. But wanting to focus on the beatitude, we all know it. Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. And what I want to do is is really develop and reflect on this connection that the beatitude makes between the heart and the eyes. Remember, notice that? Blessed are the pure of heart, for they will be able to see God. Not necessarily with the physical eyes, just like we're not talking about our physical heart, but we're talking with the spiritual eyes, the eyes of the heart. And that's what we're going to really sort of talk, would label our talk today. So we want to talk about the eyes of the heart, the eyes of the pure heart, what they see, how they see, particularly focusing on Mary's immaculate heart, her gaze, her vision, because she would have had the purest, clearest vision because of the purity of her heart. So what is purity of heart? Catechism number 2518 gives a pretty succinct definition. Pure in heart refers to those who have attuned their intellects and wills 
to the demands of God's holiness. So it speaks of holiness, chiefly in three areas, charity, chastity, and sexual rectitude, love of truth and orthodoxy of the faith. There's a connection between purity of heart, body, and faith. Purity of heart, body, and mind, however you want to call it. And so purity of heart is something more than just sexual purity, even though that's what we focus on, but it is indeed something anchored in the body, something anchored in our bodies as created male and female chastity, self-control, and the way that our mind can perceive and know the truths of the faith. Whenever we talk about chastity and purity of heart so often today, we refer to Pope St. John Paul II and his theology of the body. And that second part where he talks about purity of heart. He talks about this beatitude and that we need to be pure of heart. And that purity is seeing others not as things to be used, but as persons to be loved. That we want to give ourselves to them and we want to receive their gift. It's chastity of the heart, self-control, instead of the possessiveness of love. And so purity of heart is something we work at. It's a virtue, but it's also a gift of the Spirit that gives us great reverence for the body, the holiness of the body and its power to give of oneself and also the, the, generative, also the generative power, the power to bring forth life. So the spousal meaning and the generative meaning, if you know theology of the body. And so this chastity, this purity of heart, gives us a greater freedom of giving of ourselves, an ability to receive others in love. And so it's that gaze, and he talks about that, that flows from the heart. That we either look at others with love, as persons, and gift, or we look at them with lust. And lust, though, if we allow that to take over, not only clouds our mind and how we see other people, but as he talks about, and Thomas Aquinas also talks about too, it begins to cloud our intellect. Our faith begins to struggle. We have a hard time seeing spiritual things. I normally say that what happens is the, the sin of sloth, which is not laziness, but it's sort of a spiritual apathy, a sadness at the friendship with God begins to set in. And so spiritual values begin to be less important. And so, though, if we're going to really understand it and flesh it out, the most important thing for being pure of heart, whether it is in the sexual sense or or in the sense of the intellect and the entire person, means not so much us seeing God, but allowing God to see us. And so in my prayers and a lot of the talks is, I sort of said earlier, this idea of sight or the gaze has been a big part of my prayer. I did a retreat uh, a few years ago on living in the gaze of the Heavenly Father. And what does it look like when we are allowing the Lord to see us? And the little movie we saw, The Chosen, The Messengers the other day, that gave the title Adonai El Roy, that Hagar gives God, meaning the God who sees me. And that we've got to allow the Lord to see us. Because when we do, when we, like Christ and Mary, live in the gaze of the Father, we know who we are. 
We know our identities. We're sons. We're daughters. We're beloved. He's proud of us. We're not like Adam and Eve who after their fall, after the sin, as a result of shame and fear, hid themselves from Yahweh, hid themselves from God, showing uh, insecurity in themselves, but also a distrust. The Lord is not a merciful father, but he is the just judge hunting them down. But this is simply not true. The Lord's gaze is not that of big brother. He's not that of some sort of coach or critic there to rip you to shreds. He's there, the loving father. And that gaze is embodied and incarnate in Christ. So when Christ looks upon us, it is the father looking upon us. And so we can look in scripture in the times that Jesus looked at someone. When he looked at the rich young man and loved him, he looked at the Samaritan woman at the well and changed her heart. When Peter sinned, Scripture says, Jesus caught his eye. Not out of judgment, when Peter began, because to see the pain in Christ's eye and the mercy there, began to weep for his sins. It's a merciful gaze, not a critical one like the Pharisees. When we begin to act like Pharisees, we begin to be critical. What happens is the critic stands outside or above, always criticizing others. Not in the middle, not there, is part of the other people, realizing, acknowledging their own weakness. They're going to criticize other people to bring them down, to build themselves back up. But when we live in the gaze of the Father, then we know that that gaze, that vision, purifies our own hearts. And that's the key. I'll give you a longer quote about that, but I'm not going to. We become pure when we live in the sight and the vision of the Father, and that gaze, living in it, begins to transform us, like like gold is purified by fire. So Mary constantly lived in the vision of the Heavenly Father, because she was sinless. She had nothing to hide. She never tried to hide from the Lord as Eve did. And this was sort of the, the insight that I got from the writings of Archbishop Martinez, Louis Martinez. Many of you may know he's the spiritual director or was the spiritual director of Conchita. And all these different apparitions um, and, and visions and beautiful messages. A visionary from Mexico. I think she's up for beatification. And, and he has this sort of retreat that he preached to her called Living Under the Gaze of the Father. And he talks about Mary. He says, the Virgin Mary attributed the great wonders accomplished in her to this gaze, for he looked upon his handmaid's lowliness. That's the Magnificat. This is the deepest source of all graces, the infinite gaze which rests on the abyss of our nothingness. Mary was empty. She had a great capacity, the abyss of her nothingness, but she allowed the Lord to look on her and fill her up. Fill her up with his life and his love. She could do that because of her purity of heart and because of her childlike trust. She knew God was a father, not out there to hunt her down or critique her. So we, if we're going to have Mary in hearts, we're going to have to be willing to live in the gaze of the father, to not hide, to not run away, to allow the Lord to see us, If we sin, instead of going the other direction, go to him and ask for mercy. That's the key of the little way. Running to the Lord and never, never hiding and trusting in his mercy. 
And so though, when we have the Lord seeing us, what about what we see? Because it says, blessed are the pure of heart, they shall see God. And so it's going to be first. The person who has the pure heart, the person who has the Marian heart, is going to look and see the Lord. Now, not in the beatific vision on earth. We don't get that until we get to heaven to see God face to face. We have to believe with faith to see things in the dark, to believe in things we cannot see. That's what the eyes of faith. It's like the, the night vision goggles. We're able to see and perceive the truth even in the dark with our reason, with our heart. As we saw, Mary had faith. A lot of people think it's so easy for Mary. Oh, she had faith. It was easy because she was sinless. No, that means if she had the strongest faith, hers was the darkest. She suffered the most. And so it was her gaze, that contemplative gaze in prayer of looking upon the Father, of looking upon her Son and saying, I don't understand everything, but I still love. Ratzinger says, according to Matthew 5.8, the Immaculate Heart is a heart which, with God's grace, has come to perfect interior unity and therefore sees God. She's able to see the Lord even in the darkness, to trust him, even though it doesn't make sense. And we're going to see a little bit how she does that later. But it leads to radical trust. But it also, person who has the pure heart, the Marian heart, is able to see God in creation. To be able to see God in creation. I taught sexual ethics to the seminarians this semester, and we began by looking at this binary of two worldviews. The predominant worldview is the nihilistic worldview. One that says that the world is just the world. There's no inherent meaning, an inherent order in it. There's no spiritual. The world is just raw material to be used and to be manipulated. You die and you rot and that's it. The Christian worldview, the Catholic worldview, is the sacramental worldview. Where we do respect the laws of science. We see order in nature. We see what we call the metaphysical. We see the spiritual. We can look at the world and see God beyond it. Not just the world, but the body, the meaning, the theology of the body. For that nihilistic worldview, the body means nothing. We're just an animal. We're slaves to our desires. And so if you have the sacrament of creation, then you are going to see God in creation. You're going to be able to contemplate him in the beauty of creation. And you're going to see creation as a gift. We didn't do anything to deserve creation, our own existence, the world, the beauty of it. We were walking around Huntington Gardens yesterday and just amazed. There were 1,300 varieties of roses and all the different flowers and the trees. This variety of creation, so amazing to behold. The gift of being able to see these things and to see God revealing himself through it. And so Mary was able to do this perfectly. Why? Because her vision was the clearest. It's sin that obscures the vision, makes it very difficult for us to see, to believe, and to be able to see him acting in the world. And so Mary sees it, and what is her response? Praise and gratitude for what he has done. But what also is important, and what we're sort of focusing on here, extending from 
our previous reflection, is that when we have a pure heart, we are able to see others. To see others specifically as God sees them. The Catechism 2519. Purity of heart is the precondition of the vision of God. Even now, it enables us to see according to God, to accept others as neighbors. It lets us perceive the human body, ours and our neighbors, as temples of the Holy Spirit, a manifestation of divine beauty. We can see their dignity. We can see their value. We can see their worth. And you know what? I talked about this the other day at a wedding. This command to love, to be able to perceive the goodness in others. Why does that command exist? Because people need to be seen, known, and loved. That's why. It's not too complicated. We have the command to love others because people we need to be seen, known, and loved. It's the gaze of love. And Pope Francis, as we talked about, talks a lot about tenderness. He also talks a lot about this loving gaze. In Amoris Laetitia, number 128, this is so beautiful. The aesthetic experience of love is expressed in that gaze which contemplates other persons as ends in themselves, even if they are infirm, elderly, or physically unattractive. A look of appreciation has enormous importance, and to begrudge it is usually hurtful. How many things do spouses and children sometimes do in order to be noticed? Much hurt and many problems result when we stop looking at one another. We want to be seen. One of the most interesting studies that I've ever encountered was done in the 80s and 90s. I forgot the guy's name. But he did a study of criminals, violent criminals that had been incarcerated, usually murderers, people who seemed to be uh, non-able to be rehabilitated. And he asked them, why do you do what you do? And there was a universal response. They wanted respect. They're going to do this to get respect. What does the word respect mean? Where does it come from? Re, again, spectare, to see. They want to be looked at. They want to be really seen, to take a second look, to see them as persons. And because they weren't getting the attention they needed, because 99.9% of these didn't have dads, they don't have parents, they weren't raised in love, what happens? They go in to do the things that they do to get respect, to be seen. And so people need to be seen, they want to be seen, but they need to be seen purely. Not a lustful gaze, but a gaze that sees them as human beings. As Mary would have seen them, as Jesus saw them. I've come in my own experience, particularly in working with college students, most people are unchaste in their behavior because they've never been seen or loved in a chaste manner. They've only been objectified by narcissistic parents, absent fathers, boys or girls who just simply use them. If we experience being loved in a chaste way, then chances are we are going to be willing to love others instead of living in shame and a hidden life. It's not what the Lord wants for us. Leon Bloy, who we quoted earlier about opening the space of the heart, has another very, very beautiful quote, which I use all the time. He says, every man who begets a free act projects his personality into the infinite. If he begets an impure act, 
he perhaps darkens thousands of hearts whom he does not know, who are mysteriously linked to him and who need this man to be pure as a traveler dying of thirst needs the gospel's draught of water. So there's this person who needs me to see them purely, because if I do, I change their lives, and they begin to see others purely. We never know what that look and how it can affect someone who needs to be seen and in love, particularly, let's say, the homeless or these individuals who no one pays attention to. You don't need to give them money, but notice them. Ask their name. The challenge to do so, but it respects the dignity of the person and can be transformative. Why is this so powerful? We're going to get to the quote that I use at almost every talk, every retreat I give. Because our eyes mediate the eyes of God. Once again, we are not angels. We have a church. We have bodies. We are called to be expressions of God's love. So Father Jacques Philippe, it's amazing it took me this long to quote Father Jacques Philippe, who's the best if you haven't read him. He says, we urgently need the mediation of another's eyes to love ourselves and to accept ourselves. The eyes may be those of a parent, a friend, a spiritual director, but above all, they are those of God the Father. They look, the look in his eyes is the purest, truest, tenderest, most loving, and most hopeful in the world. And so we communicate the gaze of God. We affirm their being. And so we do. We see someone that we love and respect. Our face should light up. Parents, your face should light up when you see your children. It's an affirmation that you see them, they love them, and they affirm their existence. So imagine, though, Mary's gaze, being seen by Mary. Many of the early icons of the church were Mary looking with those big old eyes that were modeled off of Christ's eyes in iconography that were modeled off the Shroud of Turin, but still she was looking at you. Catch the gaze of Mary as she looks at you with love. Imagine her looking at the baby Jesus, contemplating the divinity there in the child. Or there, looking at him, and then finally seeing the smile of Jesus. This is something that Bambalthazar talks a lot about, about how the mother's gaze elicits, and her smile elicits the response of the child. But it's done because the mother and the child have that connection. They're attuned, and they see and perceive the smile. It brings forth a deeper understanding of one's existence. Imagine the way she looks at the apostles, especially when they're filled with shame and want to hide. I love that scene from The Passion of the Christ. After Peter denies Jesus, he runs into Mary. And Mary looks at him with great, great compassion, but he can't take it. And he runs off because he's so filled with shame. It's a tender, accepting look of love. It's never judgmental. Doesn't get disappointed in the other person. It always sees the good and calls them higher. Now I want to make an observation here, which is sort of philosophical, but I think is important as we get to the last part of the talk, which we're going to see how that goes. So often we talk about seeing, we imagine I'm going out to perceive something. I'm looking at all of you. The intentionality is out towards you, the object. But the way our senses work, the way our eyes work, is that although we go out, I am able to see because I am receiving the light that is bouncing off of you. They say seeing is believing. No, seeing is receiving. 
When I see you, I receive you, the image of you. You go into my eyes and those little things and the, the neurons send an image to my brain. And so it is the receptivity of the others, connected, I think, with the receptivity of the heart. The whole spirituality of receptivity is something Father Jacques Philippe talks about, rooted in Therese. Therese is this wonderful quote, The merit doesn't consist in doing nor in giving a lot, but rather in receiving and loving a lot. We love, yeah, we give gifts, but more importantly, we love what we receive the other person as a gift. Allow them to come into the refuge of our heart and to be able to see them in their dignity. Taking them where they're at, loving them, imperfect, broken, sinful, just as Mary would. This gaze that brings people into the safety of our hearts ought to animate our relationships, particularly in marriage, particularly in friendships, but so often it doesn't. Now this is where I kind of want to land the plane, and it seems like I'm going off a little bit, but how do we know if our hearts are pure? How do we know if we're doing this? And so, so often when we talk about virtue, you can say, well, what is this virtue? What is purity of heart? And Aristotle said, I may not be able to define the virtue, but I know the virtuous man when I see it. So I may not be able to tell you these are all the exact qualities of the Marian heart, but I know a Marian heart when I see it. I know people who have pure hearts. I know who they are. And they have the qualities that we have been talking about. They're vulnerable. They don't have their defenses up. They're welcoming. They're loving. They make space for others. People feel safe in their presence. They are pure of heart, but most importantly, they are confident in their purity of heart. They know they're pure of heart. This is something I've really begun to realize in the past few months. They're not pride, they're humble, but they know they are pure and they know they love well. They know when they look at someone or love someone, it changes them. They also know that sometimes it freaks people out because they can't take being looked at that way. And so it goes back to to seeing. These individuals, from my experience, I know who they are. I've worked with them in campus ministry. They let the Lord see them. They don't live in shame. Sometimes they may be questioning of themselves. They're not perfect. They fall. But they let God see them and others see them. And they see themselves as God sees them. This is important. So we talked about how we need to live in the gaze of the Father and we need to convey the gaze to others. That's the two levels. But the third part of loving God and loving neighbor is learning to love ourselves. These people who are confident have a genuine and real self-love. They're not ashamed of who they are. They're not insecure. They're not tearing themselves down all of the time. And as a result, they are able to love others. They see there and believe in their inherent goodness as beloved sons and daughters, and they're secure. They're secure in their identity. 
Again, not all of the time, but they generally operate out of that security. Unlike other people who operate out of their insecurity. After 11 years of campus ministry, I can spot these people like that. I can tell you within two minutes of meeting you, if you are operating out of your insecurity, primarily, or if you know who you are, and you have that pure heart. Sometimes I'm wrong, I can't read people's souls, but it's clear, it's clear in the way they behave. And I can spot someone who's not, who's not anxious, filled with shame, fear, doubt, ruminate all the time, getting trapped in their heads. They're insecure. They may mask it as pride, but no, it's insecurity. We put others down to build ourselves up. They struggle to love, struggle to pray, angry, jealous, petty, an inability to trust in God and his mercy, and they cause pain in their lives and the lives of others. Why? Not because they're bad people. We met anybody like this who's a bad person who does it maliciously. Most don't even know they're doing it. They cause pain because they're in pain. Hurt people hurt people. They have their garbage. They have their refuge. They have their shame, but they're not dealing with it. They're not dealing with it. And therefore, their lives are miserable. They make everyone else's lives miserable too. Imagine, though, the confidence of Mary and her ability to look and see others. She knew. She walked into that wedding at Cana. She knew what needed to happen. She did it. And she asked the Lord with confidence. And her son said yes. Why? Because she lived in the Father's gaze. So when she looked at someone, she loved someone, it was the ability for them to see God seeing them through her. And people changed. People who have Marian hearts and look at others with purity, it may not be instantaneous, but they change. People were drawn to her. They may have been frightened by her a little bit. Maybe she was scary holy. But she was able to love people in a way that transformed their lives. And so if we are going to have a growing, thriving church, families, we need people like this who can see and love each other and in doing so create a zone of mercy and freedom, a safe place where people know they're not going to be judged not going to be betrayed, not going to be kicked at the curb. And this love and gift then leads to an authentic communion of persons, an image of the Trinity, what we're called to be. And after 11 years of working in wisdom with so many wonderful people, I believe when I left there, that campus ministry, we had a parish and a community of students who were confident with Marian hearts. And we're able to love others and create other Marian hearts. One of our focused missionaries said, wisdom is a place you can't hide. You're going to be seen. But I think a positive expression of that is, it is a place where you are seen, known, and loved. And the environment changes. You don't have to go to wisdom. You all know it exists right here. Why do you come over here? You don't come over here to listen to me. You come to me with the sisters. The sisters are living it. Are they perfect? No. Sister, are you perfect? No. She's shaking her head. No, they're not. But they're at least trying. Most of us don't try. That's why parishes, no one wants to go to a church, because people are so wrapped up in themselves. They're so narcissistic. 
Not out of viciousness, but out of their own pain and their own brokenness. They're staying busy all the time so they don't have to deal with their own trash. And so what happens is we're not living what's supposed to be, and people aren't drawn to it because we refuse to look and deal with our stuff. But when you experience it, everyone's going to leave here better because they were seen by the sisters. They felt loved by the sisters. But this isn't something we can just come and experience once a year. It is something that should exist everywhere. In our families, in our parishes, in our communities. This is what Jesus wants. Because if we started living it out intentionally, even if we knew we messed up, by really working to have pure hearts and seeing others with purity, things would change. But it's got to start with us. And it has to start with the vulnerability that we talked about. To admit, I'm not perfect. To put ourselves out there. To risk being rejected. To risk that sword right through your heart. So that we can love and see each other's. And then, in doing so, bring the shame and the garbage to light. The more you keep that in yourself, it's going to eat you alive like cancer. Bring it to a safe place, a friend. Go to therapy. Go to counseling. Please, let's deal with our stuff. If you have trauma, go to EMDR. We've got to get beyond the stigma of all this. Because people are existing in so much pain, they won't bring it to their friends, they won't bring it to the counselor, they won't bring it to Jesus. And so what happens? We are living in a crippled church. People who don't have Marian hearts. And so as a result, nothing happens. The Lord wants to bring us healing. He wants to tear down the walls. He wants to let ourselves be seen as he sees us so we can be confident in that and therefore go and love others. It's never too late. You can say, well, Father, you were doing it at a college campus. Everybody's young. Fine, yes. But it's never too late. It may get more difficult, but we cannot lose hope in this. There is room for healing, and therefore for happiness, for freedom, and purity of heart. So this is our homework. It's pretty simple. I know I was going to get into all this. How do we live purity of heart? No. We need to change. We need to deal with our stuff. We need to bring it to the light and allow the Lord's gaze to purify us and give us the grace to overcome the fear. So that's the first homework. What is your junk, your trash, your baggage that you're ashamed of? Some of it can be really nasty stuff. I know chances are they're victims of abuse here, physical, sexual, emotional, mental, trauma, whatever it is, things you've done, things that were done to you. Say, Lord, what is it? What's stopping me from loving purely and allowing myself to be seen and known and loved by you and others? And what we're going to do is we're going to give it to Jesus. We're going to give it to Mary. We're going to see why we're going to give it to Mary a little bit later on today. To make that prayer for renewal, healing of our hearts and of our church. So what we're going to do since we have some free time, we are going to play a couple of songs so I really decided I'm going to try to connect songs to each of the talks. I didn't do one last time. We're going to do a song. And look, this time it's actually live. We have some wonderful performers, some young ladies, uh, who will hopefully maybe introduce themselves. And we're going to sing the first song that connects to what we had discussed a little bit earlier in the day. 
when we were talking about the refuge. Um, and this song, is, these are ones that I like and I think are valid songs for us to sing. And this is called I Will Exalt You. Some of you may know this song. It's a beautiful praise and worship song. And the lines, my hiding place, my safe refuge. Tying back to that. Now the song, the second one they're going to play, connects to this uh, talk that we're given. And so we think, well, Father, oh, it's going to be open the eyes of my heart, Lord. No, it's not. Even if it's a great song, they could play that third if they want to. It's one of my favorites. It's called Come and Tear Down the Walls. And that probably goes back to the first talk. This is the issue. We have walls up. We are not allowing ourselves to be seen or others seen. We're letting shame reign. So we're going to sing these songs together, then have time for adoration, confession, and come back for our conference a little bit later on today.